0: Welcome to the Songs with Substance podcast where I interview indie musicians about their experience in the music industry and the creative process. In today's episode I interviewed Josh from Booster Fawn, a Montreal-based band with a beautifully timeless vintage rock sound. We spoke about their latest album, Dreams Made of Snowflakes, that captures Josh's positive journey towards sobriety. I hope you enjoy this episode. Do consider subscribing or leaving a comment if you do. And yeah, let's dive right into the episode.
1: wrong When i when I put aside All those tiny little thoughts I'm never wrong If I ever have a child
0: Booster Fawn, welcome to the Songs with Substance podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. So just diving right in, just to give people a little bit of context into who you are musically, um, your musical background, how you got involved with music. Tell us a little bit of your story.
1: Sure. Um, Well, first off, uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is, I think, the first uh, podcast I've ever done. So um, here it goes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um
1: yeah so my name is uh, joshua seguin i um perform uh, record and release music uh under uh, the name booster fawn i've been doing booster fawn for uh seven years now the first recording came out in 2018 but uh the name started in 2016 and uh, i live in montreal um, i've been living here for 15 years
0: cool and where does the name Booster Phone come from? So I had a band
1: in, um, in university, you know, I, I came to Montreal for school and for music. The band in, in university was called Two Year Carnival. When uh, we all graduated, every one of the band members went back home. Um, so that was the end of that project. I kept going as Three two year carnival for a while. Uh, and then it, it just kind of stopped, uh, in 2015 when I left, um, Montreal and I left Montreal, uh, to sort of, um, uh. Become a vagrant in a way. And uh, so I was in British Columbia for the summers of 15 and 16 uh, picking cherries. And the name Booster Fawn came from uh, when we're picking cherries, we have to wake up super early. We've got to start working at around four because uh, by noon, it's too hot for the cherries. So I was in my tree. I was picking cherries and the the crack of dawn, all of a sudden, like it, it would become light, right? It would go from dark to light and uh that's actually when when the name came to me booster fawn and and the thought was like i need to bring this feeling back to the city you know and uh i do music so i'm i'm gonna, that's what i'm going to name my my music project booster fawn i mean it's become so much more than that uh, yeah. but like the original was like nature is this little fawn that needs to be nurtured by us humans so my contr- contribution to that is going to be like, I'm going to give a boost to the fawn. So booster fawn. Oh,
0: I love that. Yeah. You <laughs> said that it's become much more than that since then. In what yeah. way?
1: Um, I guess just in the way that like at the beginning, the the symbolism of the name was really important. And I sort of conceived of myself as uh like, I guess like a shaman, you know, like, it was like, Oh, like I'm just like modern, like shaman. And my, my, Shaman name is Booster Fawn, you know, but now it's just kind of a band. Now it's just a band name and music that I make with my friends. Like it's been so many years that that early excitement of having found the name is is kind of gone. And now it's more just like, well, you know, you can search this if you want to listen to the kind of music that I make.
0: Yeah, I love that you bring up the modern shaman thing. I think that that's so in line with how you describe your music is bringing nature back to civilization. Yeah, I'd like to know a bit more about why you describe your music that way and why you think it's important to bring nature back to civilization. Why does that matter to you?
1: I think it's because I, I, I'm not, um, I guess like in the city, like I've been living in the city for a long time, but I come from uh, this very small county in, in uh, Ontario called uh, Glengarry. So it's just like very small um, area, right? So I've always been more connected to the countryside um, than to the city. Why is that important? Well, I feel like, um, I guess like I feel like there's like sort of like a knowledge that I have of my childhood, just like walking in the woods and sort of like playing outside all day, which feels kind of special, like in a city context where Maybe a lot of people, their their um, growing up experiences are, are ultimately tied to the city all the time.
0: You also describe yourself as an ambassador of love, which I love. And I've been loving your little videos that you've been making with um, the roses and everything. I think it's very funny, but also very authentic and profound, which is also how I would describe your music, generally speaking, as being very authentic and timeless. And it's like vintage sound. Like it really just sounds like it's from another era, but it really speaks to... Our current one at the same time. So, why are you the ambassador of love, and and what does it take to be <laughs> one?
1: <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, why? Well, I guess the ambassador of love um, is uh, just these these videos. Um, I work with a friend of mine, uh, Linda. This was uh, her idea originally. The press photos and even the album cover of, of Dreams Made of Snowflakes is. You know, I'm, like, holding these flowers. And I would say that, like, love is, like, my, maybe my number one value that I have to share and that I have to offer. So the name, like, Ambassador Love just sort of came out of a need to stand out. Well, I don't think anyone has ever proclaimed themselves the ambassador of love. So that's, int- I'm always on the lookout for like, how will, for example, searching this term on Google lead directly to me? I've I've always been very thoughtful about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's important. And I think it's cool because it's like, it again shows this combination between being authentic to yourself, but at the same time having like a business mindset when it comes to your work, because you kind of need to have both those hats, you know, if you want to make a living out of music. And I think one of the biggest messages I want to give through this podcast is that you can market yourself and be authentic. Like marketing doesn't have to be inorganic and, you know, manipulative. It can be honest. So I think that's a cool example of you doing that. There's so much I want to ask you have like a hundred notes, but maybe we can go into your most recent album, Dreams Made of Snowflakes, 11 songs. So um, that I wrote here, which is just what you wrote. I just copied it. I uh, think you wrote a positive journey to sobriety. So I'd love to hear a bit more of, of your story with all that and what led you to write this album.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think if I'm uh, completely honest, I think that I really fell into the um, myth of sort of the drunken stoned uh, rock star, right? Like growing up, like that was what I wanted to be. And like, it was all around me, um, rock music on the radio and uh, parties and stuff like that. If we're talking about sobriety, like I, I think I started um, drinking before I started making music, you know? So it was always like very connect It was always very, very much connected for me and then on top of that with the the previous band to your carnival we were able to rent a giant space on Saint Laurent in Montreal um you know we called it the psychic city and and we had the giant parties here at this place giant parties and and it was really a rehearsal slash um concert venue entirely self-sufficient meaning like we would pay the rent with the the money made from the shows so um there was lots of alcohol there. I guess like some other musicians maybe they can like record stuff and they keep it and they don't release it right away or maybe they're shy or they're like waiting for the the right moment or whatever. But for me it was like it was the it was a complete opposite like I remember like the first song I ever, ever recorded I was applying to these like giant festivals and stuff like that. Like I really wanted these uh spots at the top like from the very beginning. So the positive journey to sobriety So if I was to sort of draw like uh, my life, the chronology of my life, like the only consistent thing from the age of 19 was that I was uh, drinking, I was smoking pot, and I was uh, recording, uh, releasing and performing music, right? That's the only consistent thing. It came to a point where like I needed to smoke pot to actually be connected. And also like the shaman thing, it was like, Oh, like, um, this is my ritual. This is kind of my, this is who I am. It, it would like connect me directly to the, to the gods, you know, or like the, the planets. Um, and then I would be able to write. And then, you know, as, as it happens, um, I hit a, what, I guess what's called an a rock bottom, like an emotional rock bottom at 31. And that's when I told myself, like, I... I can't do this anymore, you know? Like I have to I have to stop feeling like this, whatever comes of it, right? And I remember thinking like like if if I don't write a single song ever again or if I don't like perform ever again, I'm fine with that. Like I just want to stop feeling like this. And so that's when I like got help, and the strangest thing happened like there was nothing for 3 months there was there was no, no like creative sort of ideas uh for 3 months my imagination was completely inactive and um then i wrote then i wrote a song and then i wrote another one and then i wrote another one and so like dreams made of snowflakes is the result of of those first few years and uh on a personal level like it shows me or it showed me that I don't need, I actually don't need these substances to be who I want to be.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned how um, being involved with drugs and alcohol helped you connect to something bigger than yourself and that that seemed to be where your creativity was coming from. Where do you think your creativity comes from now? And do you still have a connection to something bigger than yourself? Or have you Mm. left this sort of like shaman thing behind you? Like, where do you stand with all that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where does it come from now? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm definitely not writing as many songs, you know?
0: Um, (laughs) The ones that are coming out pretty good. So, (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah, because so, like, before it before really it was, um, it was just like, like write the song and, and they would all come in five minutes, five or 10 minutes, write the song, write the song, perform it, record it, and then just like put it on Bandcamp and move on to the next one. Like right away, like this, th- this is what it was. It was almost like a, I needed it to survive, you know, whereas now I guess the, the songs they, they come from, I think that, I think they're just way more honest and, and it's a way more conscious decision. It, 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 it's way more about like, I live this experience or I've been thinking about this thing for a while now. And, you know, I've always been more comfortable with expressing myself in song, uh, I find it easier. You, you like sit down, you, don't, you know, quiet, you're writing that you're writing, and then you can edit um, and you can change the words and stuff. So that, that's like, that's like my favorite way to express myself. It's much clearer. So now like, the, yeah, now like they come from a place of like, I think that this is something like, it's medicine for me to be making this song. That's kind of it. It's like like building a bridge. Like I wanna like build this bridge between like me and the listener if I can, you know? So instead of being like an island of uh, genius or whatever, then, it, then instead there's like a bridge of communication with the, you know, other people. Like I spent I spent my whole adult life drinking and and using drugs, then like, I stopped. I mean, like, that's like a miracle that 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 has to be something that uh, doesn't come from me. My favorite thing where like, I remind myself if I'm feeling kind of uh, lost, or uh, even like, if I feel like too in control or whatever, like, I I think like, oh, God is either everything or nothing. I've never believed that uh, God was nothing. And so it's easier if I give myself those two options, you know? hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you what helped you get through this journey towards sobriety, because obviously, you know, you described this rock bottom, which I'd like to ask you about afterwards as well, because for some people who might be in that rock bottom, it might be helpful to hear how that felt for you. But before we get into that, what helped you on your journey towards sobriety? Like what helped support you through that time? That you would recommend to someone who's going through that who wants to you know move on to the next chapter that you've been able to find
1: yeah um well like i I remember that even at 19 i was thinking like hmm like i wonder if there's another way to do this you know and and i would stop for a few days or whatever um but then a week or two after like i would feel great Again, and I would forget, and I would go back to it right so what really helped me this time uh I joined a um, the twelve step program fellowship, and so like just to be surrounded by other people who were going through the same feelings as me helped me so much you know and 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 like I just picked up a bunch of phone numbers and and uh, there were times where out of excitement or sadness like Oh, like, I'm gonna drink now like I'm okay, then I would just call someone and uh, talk it out. So that helped uh, tremendously to ask for help is the best thing that ever happened to me, you know, to know that like, I can ask for help, um, for this very specific thing. And only people that also went through this very specific thing. um, They're the only ones that can help me. So
0: How do you feel now? Cause you're several years into your sobriety. Is this something that you still feel you have to work on consistently? Um, is this network still a network that you are supported by?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I still, um, I still very much participate in, in this, uh, because now the coin, now the coin has, has somehow flipped and now I'm on the side of, uh, where where I can welcome the person who who is just starting and uh you know I had so many questions when I when I when I began yeah so still today I believe that like I couldn't do it alone after 1 week so why should I be able to do it alone after uh many many 1 weeks you know
0: yeah Um, And going back to this phase, so you hit 31 and you had this rock bottom, like you were saying, what was that experience like? Like what you mentioned, like, I I can't do this anymore. I can't feel this way anymore. What was the this that felt so unbearable that you felt the need to change?
1: Yeah, um, it was it was it was simply the feeling that nothing nothing um, was working and feeling like this was so when i was 21 someone very close to me committed suicide so like all in my 20s um i i've been well i mean that that affected me <laughs> of course that affected yeah. me and i've always been aware about the psychology of like someone who is at that point in their in their life and uh I suppose that like that started to happen to me too at thirty one. So like as soon as like as soon as I as I started having like suicidal thoughts, like uh I knew right away like where that leads to. So I was like, Oh no, 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 like this <laughs> this is, is uh I've gotta take care of this like before anything else, you know? Yeah, it's like I didn't wanna live, but now like I wanna live <laughs>
0: yeah well it's just it's encouraging to see the example of someone that's come through the other side of that because i know that when you're in the thick of it it feels like it will never end and Mm -hmm. it's almost like inconceivable that you'll feel let alone joy like peace like calm again just even okayness you know it feels like a reach in these Mm -hmm. moments um so it's uh, just wonderful to to hear your story and to sort of witness you as an artist, you know, continue to make music and uh, to live a sort of fulfilling life on the other side of that pain. And props to you, because it's a lot of, you know, a lot of work to put into yourself to sort of get out of that rut and a lot of willpower. So props to you and props to anyone who's like listening to this and might be going through this or have gone through this. It's, not to be underestimated, the amount of work that 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 takes. Um, And I also wanted to say that, you know, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about your music before and after addiction and how your relationship to it has changed. You said before you were describing that you wrote music more like out of desperation and out of like a little island kind of. And now you write music more as a bridge, like you were saying, to connect to your audience. To me, it's like I can see that sort of narrative unfold as you described your story, going from like a man on an island to going through this experience with addiction, seeing the value of community and how it is healing, and then making music that is now not out of desperation, but out of self-healing, like you were mentioning. And the purpose of that music is to connect with people and to communicate with them and to build bridges. Does that sound like an, an accurate uh, depiction of your journey or am I just like writing a story?
1: <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a beautiful depiction. Um, and, and thank you, yeah, thank you for that. And I just wanna say that like, if, if someone hears this and and um, is feeling well, can can relate to, you know, um, what I just spoke about, uh, you're free to message me like whoever you are, even if, if we don't know each other. Um, and we could talk. So,
0: yeah, where can they find you? Uh,
1: uh, mostly, I guess, I uh, use Instagram a lot, Instagram on my Booster Font page. Or, mm. um, I guess, if you like personally um, on Facebook, uh, my name is Joshua Sege. So you can find me there.
0: Cool. Um, I also want to ask you I mean, this is obviously a different form of. Uh, addiction, it's not like physical dependency. But I've noticed a theme amongst a lot of musicians, especially indie musicians um, that are up and coming, the struggle of having to learn how to, on the one hand, make art that has value to other people without getting addicted to the people's validation of your work. And that can just be like an incredibly hard balance to find. 'Cause you are making work for others. But at the same time, if you depend on their validation, it's like suffocating and it prevents you from making your best work. So it's like this paradox that you always have to play with. And I'm curious to know what your experience is with that. How much room do you make for other people's opinion of your work? <laughs> Not a lot, I would say.
1: Unless they're unless, you know, they're they're like a music journalist or they're a festival curator or something like that. Because like before it was it was kind of, uh, if I was in like a drunken haze or something, how, how dare they, uh, not come to my concert? Uh, how, how this, this person I know, na 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 didn't come, but now like, it really is, uh, down to like, I am just making music and it's not necessarily something incredibly special. And yes, like some songs, can save like a person's soul or something like that. But I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I'm not ending poverty in the world or, um, hunger or stuff like that. So like, it's, I I've sort of dropped, I've sort of went down, like, uh, I think I was placing myself on a pedestal, uh, this marijuana fueled, uh, megalomania, you know, um, I mean, which was really fun. It was really fun, but it's, it's, it's much cooler to be down to earth. And like, you know, if, uh, I, I send a lot of emails, like I, 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 I try to, um, get the word out there, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Like, oh, like if someone says they don't like it or, you know, if it, if the song's not a good fit for the radio show or whatever, then like, I'm, uh, Perfectly fine with that. Like, really, like, it's, uh, it's part of my, um, my recovery process, right, is like, I have to, like, if I want to do this properly, like, I really have to, you know, focus on the things that I can control and like, accept the things that I can't control. So I can control the amount of emails that I send out, right, I can't control the reception of my music. So
0: I really, I appreciate you um, poking fun about how musicians don't end poverty because I've had that same thought before. Uh, On the one hand, it sometimes feels like when I make music, it's so in the moment when you're making it, the creative process is such a high in and of itself sometimes that it feels huge what you're doing. Like it feels Mm -hmm. really important, but then as soon as you take it too seriously, you're making your creative career unsustainable. Because like, you know, no one can sustain sort of having that ego be demolished that many times. <laughs> so it's like you almost have to learn exactly what you're learning to sort of depedestalize yourself and come back down to earth and, you know, still recognize the value of making art and music, but at the same time, not take yourself or your work too seriously. I think that's the recipe to sort of being a long term creative. I don't think there's any other way. And it leads me into a question that I always like to explore in my own mind, but I'll explore it in yours today. Um, How do you think an artist should relate to their ego? Like how much of it is healthy and how much of it isn't? So the
1: way I see it is the music industry is, it is incredibly competitive and someone once told me that uh, the average American has more chances of joining the NFL than they do of becoming a professional or something like there's more people that are professional football players than they are professional touring musicians. Right. That's
0: wild. Well. So like, I never heard that, but that's pretty crazy. <laughs> so
1: in terms of like ego, like, uh, and, and maybe that's where like the ambassador of love comes in and stuff like that is like, for me, like I have to, I have to think that I am the one who deserves this the most. And it's not like, I'm not taking away from, from like, I want everybody to think that they are the ones that deserve it the most, right? Simply in order to stand out, right? And um, that's kind of where like the ego ends, you know, Um, and then where the work begins. Because I think like ego and work sometimes um, they, they cooperate. Like if I'm sitting on my couch posting stories all day long and like, I don't touch my guitar, then I'm probably not gonna be the one who, uh, plays at Oceaga, which is a music (laughs) festival in Montreal. Right. Uh, so, so there's a lot of like, um, it's, it's a very good question, but yeah. Like, I think, I think there's, there's nothing wrong with, uh, healthy, um, healthy egos, uh, competing in a healthy way.
0: Yeah, I'd be very inclined to agree with that myself. So <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> My ego loves that answer. Um, and you know what? You're you're the shaman. So like what you say goes, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I'd like to know what your biggest learning curve has been in terms of learning how to promote your music. Because I know, like you were saying, it's very competitive. The industry is changing all the time. And it, for me, at least, it feels like as soon as I'm Feel like I've mastered one skill, the whole game has changed, and I like need to learn more stuff. So, uh, what's been the greatest learning curve? There,
1: there's, a, there's a lot, right? Of course, there's a lot. But the biggest learning curve for me would be like, like how to send emails. This, this is the biggest learning curve that I've had, that I am still learning, and it's great. But like, you know, I started um, in in spring. Um, Three emails a day, right? And just following up on emails, like a week after the email is sent, no reply. Like following up because this is the market. Okay, so I'm someone who makes music and I make songs, and I record them and I perform them. There's a lot of people whose role or job is to curate the uh, products of uh, people like me. So there's a lot of people that are that are receive that that they need to receive emails to uh, from musicians to basically to work, right? So there is this learning curve of like, I need to do this and I'm not like harassing someone if I'm following up on an email. Like this is just the, the, the business. So yeah, like I would say the, that the biggest learning curve would be like how to build that bridge between me and the others, right? as opposed to just like, I'm going to make this song and everyone's going to flock to me, which is a very egotistical and um, in my my opinion, it's a wrong perception.
0: Yeah, well, it is, you know, in this marketplace and how competitive things are. You really have to be quite relentless with your self-promotion to get heard, which can be very uncomfortable for people pleasers such as myself, where it's like, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to spam people with all my posts. And so I really used to just be very, very minimal about my promotion to the point of barely doing it, which obviously did not lead to great results. (laughs) So now I'm trying to learn to do things differently, but it's a big learning curve for me as well, just to get it in my head that it's like, if you're going to try and build an audience in a hyper-competitive industry, you have to be like persistent, and you can't be afraid to, you know, annoy people. Yeah, yeah, Um, no,
1: for sure. Um, And if like, I think, like, in the in the months of like, following up and sending emails, no one has ever told me stop, stop sending me emails, you're bothering me, right? I've had someone, you know, a lot of people, uh, if they don't reply right, right away, they have a great reason for it. And two or three follow-ups later, they'll say, oh yeah, great, uh, love your music. Sorry, I was busy. Um, ne- next time we air you, we'll put your song on our show or whatever the context may be, right? So that was, uh, that was mm-hmm. fun when I learned that.
0: Yeah, do you find that it's paying off to be that consistent?
1: No, for sure, most definitely.
0: So we talked before about how, um, you know, you had to sort of ground yourself, come back down to earth, realize that making music you mentioned is not that special as you said even though it it is it's magical but it's not special and i know what you mean when you say that um and then you also mentioned how it's hyper competitive and the chances of succeeding seem so improbable what keeps you going why are you still trying and why do you think that music um still has value
1: so I've always wanted to succeed uh, as a musician, you know, bluntly said, uh, I, I believe I was made to do this. All right. And getting sober, like a big part of that was once my life ends, you know, however old I am at that time, I would like to tell myself, well, I gave it the best possible shot, you know? And, um, I don't want to have any regrets. What would have happened? Like, Oh, if I hadn't drunk as much, or what would my life be if I hadn't, uh, smoked pot, uh, till the age of 60, you know, and things like that. So, so I guess like what keeps me going is just that, that idea that now maybe, um, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm actually doing it with a clear mind it's so much better than than what it was before. And you know, there's a part of me that that likes to think that like, oh, like if it really doesn't work, I'm gonna stop. But uh, that's what I call future tripping and uh, we try to avoid that here, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Um, This is another question I like to ask a lot of people, but what does success mean to you in music and how do you know when you've reached it?
1: I guess success, success for me really means, um, headlining a sold out, uh, show at a stadium. And, um, my only source of income is making music, performing it and recording it, but that's success with a capital S. So like everyday success, um, and you know i i'm 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 actively trying to to keep this in mind but it's just is to just be happy with the the little things you know like success for me can be as simple as um someone uh replies to my email and agrees to to do an interview with me you know that is success um another example is uh to pay my rent i teach english grammar and uh one of my students uh she's a she's a mom and um you know i I don't think there's any way she would have come across my music if if it wasn't for the fact that I'm her teacher and she said um when I'm sad, I listen to your music and uh i I feel better you know um that's success too and I guess another example um because you 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 just threw me into a big old gratitude uh <laughs>
0: Let's go. I'm, I'm making
1: my gratitude list now. Uh, <laughs> I guess like uh, uh, I, I have two nephews uh, and, and a little niece and my oldest nephew is, is two and a half years old. And my mom, um, she doesn't use Spotify. So I, I burnt a CD for her of dreams made of snowflakes and I gave it to her. And whenever my mom is driving with my two nephews, she puts on my C- my CD and um you know the the my little nephews they now they associate the music with me and and their little babies and stuff they're like ah like uh um Aww. they know that i'm the I'm the singer in the car right um mm-hmm. so that's like really cool too
0: oh, I love that yeah uh, one of my other questions which i i suppose you've already answered now is like um." what's a win that you recently experienced that meant a lot to you, but I suppose that you gave me a couple of examples right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's another example too, is, um, we started working with, uh, with the label in, in the, in the States, um, a brand new label. Um, they're called damaged halo records. And that was a win for me and for, for us for the band because, uh, mm-hmm this person was not part of my family was not uh, my friend and um, he approached me and then and then we spoke and we ended up collaborating and and stuff like that so that was a huge win like um, to have a stranger reach out and and ask to to work with them Um, that was cool Mm.
0: when you said like he was not my friend I at first interpreted like someone that you had beef with. No, <laughs> no, like no, no beef, and... no
1: beef. Just just <laughs> like we didn't know each other. We did not know each other. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. I was getting like an image of like we feuded, but then we signed a a, a record deal together. Yeah, oh, but no, he was not
1: not my friend, you know. He was okay. just <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. we didn't it know was him A yet.
0: stranger. <laughs> a publicly fine stranger that we love Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: so like Yeah, I saw that you signed to a label uh recently and uh yeah, that's always a big win. You know, it's hard in and of itself just to stand out enough to get a record deal with a company that's aligned with your values. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And just to wrap up, actually, speaking of values, you mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation that love was your greatest value. Um, What are another couple values that you think uh your music represents what are you trying to communicate to your audience through your music
1: I would like to try to communicate this sense that no matter how bad you think it is what's going on in your life on a personal level it's okay like there's no other way there's no other way that 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 this could be right now if you're in a situation where you don't know what to do deep down like inside you probably know what you have to do right
0: yeah 100 percent. I- i've absolutely had that experience myself for me it was like just to give a little personal anecdote here because it pertains mm. to montreal so it's like somehow like connected to you <laughs> but like i used to live in montreal too i lived there for like eight years pretty much which unfortunately we never met when I lived there, so it's like scam. <laughs> but uh-huh. you know,
1: yeah, well, we like met. A we have met actually. Sorry, we met once. Um, Did we? Yes, I bought a lamp. I bought this lamp.
0: Oh, you're right. You. <gasps> oh my god, I didn't even recognize my lamp. <laughs> oh, I like blocked out those like years from my memory. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I can see it now. You coming up at my door and getting my lamp from me which was very helpful because I was selling 100% of my furniture and I needed it to go <laughs> in like two days. But yeah, like that's actually what I was trying to bring up is for a couple of years, I was in a, my equivalent of a really low point mentally. And deep down, I knew that I had to leave Montreal and move closer to my family. And I had to like leave that chapter behind, but I was so resistant to it mm. um, that I didn't do that for a couple of years. And so it just saw, it made me worse. Um, But you're right. I think deep down, you know, when you're in a bad place, you you at least have a sense most of the time of what the next obvious step is, even if it's really small. Um, But usually that, you know, is a challenging one in and of itself. So it can be met with a lot of resistance internally. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot more I could have asked, but in the interest of time. Maybe I'll just um, ask you what's next for you and uh, where people can find you to stay in touch with you and your art.
1: Sure. Um, uh, What's next? Uh, Well, after this, I'm going to um, the studio with my band. So we're recording um, three songs from the album Dreams Made of Snowflakes uh, in French. Oh,
0: nice. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Um,
1: yeah. So that's, what's next, um, in the immediate future, of course. Like uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess like for 2024, um, are uh, we're, we're, um, currently organizing, um, shows outside of Montreal. We want to play, um, in, uh, in other cities, you know, we're excited to, to meet new people and to, to, uh, have new experiences in these other cities and uh if you if you want to find us or find my music follows like always really help and they don't they don't cost anything to do so you can follow um uh our uh Instagram account um YouTube uh page and Spotify page those are the three main things that you can follow if you want to if you want to help us out
0: yeah there's a lot there there is a lot of music i mean i was like i said um, opening this conversation, I was just sifting through it all, and I've had some favorites of yours for a while. "Bring Me to Your Secret Place" was the mm. song that I first discovered you through, and it's still probably my my favorite of yours. Um, I think it's so sweet and magical, and like the sound is so uniquely yours. You know, you know when you were mentioning that one of the messages you want to communicate to your audience is that everything's okay. I instantly thought of Everything's Okay from, like, Sailor (laughs) songs, which I I also, I love that. Like, I I sit on park benches and listen to that song and just, like, meditate to it because it's so soothing and it's just so, it's like a mantra kind of song. It's very, very meditative. The whole Sailor songs is very, like, that. It's just very mellow and, like, perfect to meditate to. Again, this shaman theme is just really, like, coming out through your work um thank you great and I'm then I it's guess- not
1: just all uh, you know fantasy and there there is some bridge that is being built so
0: excellent do you have any closing words closing thoughts
1: uh yeah i mean thank you so much for having me on your show uh ryan and uh i guess um i'm glad we had this talk you know i feel like it could have gone in bunch of other directions, but it went in in the direction that, uh, it had to, and, uh, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited to, to, to be, you know, following each other's journey and stuff. And, uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, I, I, I've loved every episode of this podcast and, uh, to anyone who's listening, um, yeah. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out or, you know, just check out the music and, um, um give the give the pages a follow it it, it really absolutely helps um and it, you know if you see that we're playing in your city by some crazy miracle then uh you can always come and uh say hi like i'm a pretty approachable person
0: cool well thank you so much for coming on and um i'll be waiting for these french songs the french versions yes. and- Dreams made of snowflakes. I think that's going to be pretty epic. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, it will. All right. Bye.
1: Everything <laughs> is okay. You. Everything is fine. Everything is okay. In candy sky. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. Everything is okay.
0: Just listen to.